reading today is from the first epistle of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us, uh, sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So the theme of this passage you may have discerned, and the theme of my sermon today is love. Now there's a certain challenge in this for a preacher. The challenge is that it's pretty hard to talk about love without coming across as sentimental or clunky or naive. There are a lot of examples I could... uh, think of, but the one that kept coming to my mind is, um, some of you may remember a band that for about four seconds was the biggest band in the world in the late 90s and early 2000s, the band Creed. Um, And the other day, for some reason, the song Higher by Creed came on. I may have put it on myself. Um, And this, uh, I always get distracted in the middle of this song because the, the song is all about dreaming of a better world. I have these dreams of a better world, but this world isn't so good, and we want to make the other, make our world to the better world. Um, And then he has this line, the only difference is to let love replace all our hate. You know, this band, it's sort of almost parody grunge uh, uh, vocal here. We've got to let love replace all our hate. And at one level, I mean, you can't disagree with the sentiment. And even somewhere in my secret heart, I'm not as down on Creed as my 90s indie rock self maybe would like to believe. But this is a terrible lyric. It turns something so big and profound and important into something sort of small and trivial. To make it sound like replacing love all the, uh, with, uh, sorry, replacing all the hate in the world with love is somehow easy is kind of worse than not saying it at all. But we see in our passage today, we do still need to try to talk about love, even if it's hard. I hope I'll have a little more success than, than Scott Stapp, but we'll see. Our passage is built on one of the most, the simplest but boldest claims in all of Scripture. The claim that God is love. God isn't just good at love. God doesn't just think love is a good thing. God isn't just loving. God is love. Metaphysically, in the structure of God's being, God is love. And that means that when we encounter love, it really is not an exaggeration to say or even or, or sentimentality to say that when we encounter love in the world, we are encountering God. The Lord of the universe is present to his creation in the form of love. And because the God who is love is the creator of the universe, it follows that in some sense love is the deep pattern of creation, the deep structure of reality. To love God and to love others is to move with the grain of the universe. And everything else that we do is secondary. 
Everything that was made was made in service of the goal of loving God and loving the good creation that he's made. St. Augustine, my go-to theologian, describes this beautifully in an aside in the city of God that I find quite striking. He says this. He says, If we, human beings, were stones or waves or wind or flames of anything of that kind, we should indeed be without sensation and life. We'd just be stuff. But we should still not lack a kind of desire or love for our own proper place and order. For the weight of bodies, the weight of things in the world, is, as it were, their love, whether they are carried downwards by gravity or upwards by their lightness. For the body is carried by its weight wherever it is carried, just as the soul is carried by its love. So love is so built into the universe that Augustine sees rocks being drawn to the ground as participating in this love uh, of God. They're participating in the order of what they're, what they're meant to do. And, but the key thing here, though, and to slightly paraphrase Augustine, what he's really saying is that love is the gravity of the soul. It's the engine behind all we do. As rocks fall through gravity, we move through love. And that is how we were created, uh, and it's how things are meant to be. And that means we're meant to be connected to each other. We're meant to feel known and to know each other. It's not just abstract. It's real, the actual things you experience in relationships. We're meant to see other people and to really be seen, to really see the human souls that are in front of us, to actually care about what's going on with them. We're not meant to be trapped inside of ourselves, caught up in our own troubles, blind to the people around us. We are meant to delight in each other and in God, and we are meant to find joy and connection in this world. It's not like a bonus, it's the whole thing. And when this does happen, when we do really connect with another human soul, there's nothing better. To fall in love for the first time, or all the joys of parenthood that always sound sort of banal when you say them, but when you actually feel them, they're the, the greatest thing you've ever experienced. The joy of realizing just how well a friend of many years really does know you and love you and is in your corner. To realize for the first time that God is real, that Jesus loves you. This love is of God, and it's not just a poetic metaphor to say that it is in this, all this love that we see God. It's the, the line from Les Mis, to love another person is to see the face of God. It's not a poetic um, uh, sentiment. It's a, it's a metaphysical statement about the nature of reality. So love is the gravity of the soul, and it draws us to God. If you want to know what heaven will be like, think of the moment you have felt most loved and have had the most love in your life, and it will be like that, but forever and even more. Unfortunately, though, things have gone wrong. When human nature fell into sin, and when we became lost in the world, our love went wrong, too. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did after eating the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat in the Garden of Eden? In Genesis 3, first they hid from God out of fear. Then, when asked about their sin, they both immediately deflected the blame. Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. Both hiding from judgment and deflecting blame are symptoms of a more fundamental tragedy. They are symptoms of a broken relationship, a breakdown of love. Before Adam and Eve did not hide from God, they were not self-conscious, and before they lived in harmony with each other. Now, Adam throws Eve under the bus at the snap of a finger if he means he might be able to escape 
from judgment. That's the new reality of relationships. Another way of putting what has happened is that Adam and Eve no longer trust that God loves them, that his will for them is good. They think they have to take matters into their own hands or else something terrible will happen. They've become islands, isolated from each other, protecting their little territory rather than living in openness and trust. They fear they are no longer beloved of God, and this fear is sadly built on a lie. God loves them just as much as before, but now there's a kind of fog, a disturbance. The communication signals between humanity and God are no longer functioning properly. And these are now the conditions under which our lives unfold. Nowhere is the fallenness of the world clearer than in human relationships. Finding love and giving love are meant to be the most natural things in the world, literally. Now, however, they are often very, very difficult. Even in the best of relationships, it takes a huge amount of effort to keep the lines of communication up and running. And so often, we just can't get through at all. We're like ships in the fog, sending out these urgent signals about our love, our desire to be loved, but they don't seem to be reaching anyone at all. There's a song by uh, Florence and the Machine on uh, her most recent album called My Love, and the chorus is just her singing over and over again. So tell me where to put my love. I don't know where to put my love. Tell me where to put my love. I don't know where to put it. Um, And that's, that's sort of where we are. I recently watched, I have the great joy of having a 14-year-old son who really likes watching cool foreign movies, and we recently watched Michael, Michelangelo Antonioni's Alienation Trilogy. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it. It's basically the most beautiful movies you've ever seen about existentially alienated Italians in the early 60s being beautiful and failing to connect. Uh, and these movies now feel like sort of parables of a lost Eden. One of them ends famously with these, this couple that they're trying to have a relationship. They're trying to stay together, to love each other. To, um, and it's just, and at the end, they agree to meet up that evening. Okay, we'll meet at eight, like usual. And then the camera goes to the meeting place, and they don't show up. And it goes on for ten minutes, just shots of this failed connection, just an empty street. Uh, where they, they've, they have failed to connect, and that's the end of the movie. It's really, really um, not depressing at all. <laughs> um, but it's a kind of parable of fallen Eden, I think. And I wonder if any of you remember uh, that dark, beautiful, but very heartbreaking song from 1980, Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. That song, it's a great song, but it's a cry of despair from the depths of a fallen world, from the ruins that Adam and Eve left behind. One of the choruses captures the condition of relational breakdown with spare, heartbreaking poetry. It says, why is the bedroom so cold? You've turned away on your side. Is my timing that flawed? Our respect runs so dry. Resentment runs high and emotions won't grow. And we're changing our ways, taking different roads. And there's no hope in the song. I like to see, imagine that image of this couple in the bedroom with the resentment and the cold emotion, and one of them turned away on their side uh, as Adam and Eve after the fall. What what do you think that first night was like after they left the garden? Uh, The resentments, the anger, what did we do? What have you done? Um, I bet one of them was lying, turned away on their side. I thought about this recently, and not quite in a level terrace apart joy division sort of level of depth, but um, a friend of mine was telling me about um, just a, a kind of a scene in his marriage 
uh, a few months ago. He was sitting next to his long wife of many years in church. And he described this kind of feeling of almost a desperation to connect with her. There'd been some argument that morning, some desire or something that he'd had that he'd communicated and she hadn't really taken very seriously and then she snapped at him when he reminded about it and there was just this kind of failure of failure to connect uh, that morning. It's some real sort of anger but not enough time to talk about it and because the kids and everything and, um, and so they get to church and they're just sitting there and he's just they're right next to each other and he, just, he feels a thousand miles away from the person sitting next to him who he knows better than anyone in the universe and what he said though was I just, I didn't want to be angry. I just wanted to know what were the words I needed. What was the tone of what, what could I say to fix it, to create the connection again? There must be something, some, and it was going through his head, if I do this, she'll get mad. If I do that, then I'm being self-righteous. If, you know, and he just couldn't figure out the code. Just, but really, he just loved her and wanted to connect, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't find the key uh, to unlock uh, the connection. I think they're okay now, don't worry. But, um... But I, I, that's, I mean, who can't relate to that at some level, not just necessarily just with a spouse, but with a, with a parent or a sibling or all the many people who, with whom we feel disconnected, even though we wish we didn't. But there is, and I think that whenever we're experiencing this failure to connect, we are experiencing the consequences of the fall of Adam. But there is hope here, too. I think there's hope on two fronts. The first is the fact that we desire love at all, the fact that we have love to give, like Florence and the Machine, is good, and it remains true after the fall. We have not lost that in the fall. We do still have love to give, and we do still want to love and be loved. And your desire for connection, your desire to know and be known, to feel close to your spouse, your child, your parents, your friends, your desire to feel secure in the love of someone else, even your desire to love God, for your desire for God himself. All of the, those things, um, in all of those things, you and I are being the creatures that God made us to be. We don't need to be ashamed of those desires. It's easy to feel ashamed. I want to connect, but I don't, and so I hide. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, quite literally, um, in those desires, you are experiencing your purpose. You are hearing God's calling. Remember what Augustine said, love is the gravity of the soul. All other things in life are secondary to this. Love is our purpose, our gravity, our calling, and our end. So I ask you, where is love drawing you today? Who is it you want to connect with? Which relationship do you wish could be restored or improved? For all of us, there is someone. And once you begin to sense the answer, there's only one thing to do, and that's to ask God for help. But the thing is, I think what I've been trying to say is that when we do ask God for help, we can do so with real confidence and hope. The reason you can pray with real hope for the restoration of love, and to ask God for a place to put your love, is that when doing so, you are praying with the grain of the universe. You are following the pattern of creation. You are doing what you are made for. Those are prayers that God likes to answer. But perhaps today the struggle is too hard. Perhaps even that prayer feels like too much. Perhaps there's just too much static in your soul to even tell what you're meant, where you're meant to be putting your love. And if that is the case, then remember there is another hope too. 
Our passage today from 1 John tells us about a remedy for disordered love, and it is one that lies not inside of us in the love God has given us, but outside of us in the love God has for us. It is a love that doesn't wait for us to fix our relationships or to figure ourselves out. It's a love that comes from without, a love that is a person and that has a name. John is very clear about this. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. In, in John 1, uh, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. So here we have a second prayer, another prayer that follows, if, if the metaphor works, the even deeper grain of the universe, the prayer that God would come to us and tell us how much he loves us, even now in the midst of the ruins and the disorder and the wreckage. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you made this universe and that you made us out of love and for love. I pray that you would speak to each of us of our calling of love in this world, that you would write um, loves that have gone wrong, restore order where love has become disordered, and bring connection where we have alienation. And in all things, remind us that you loved us first and that that is the ground of it all.